0: Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is NewMexicoDJService at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gowa for the intro music. Enjoyed the show.
1: Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly in the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what how to even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, and again, it's the Anchor app or anchor.fm, and it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall, and uh, back to the show.
0: Welcome to New Mexico DJ Service Presents Fly on the Wall podcast with your host, Elliot Goldstein. This podcast is listener-funded, so if you wish to assist, the Venmo info is New Mexico DJ Service. The PayPal info is NewMexicoDJService at gmail.com. Please remember to share our link. Thanking you all. We have an interesting guest today. Monty Camino. Monty is a Northern California based artist whose projects range from various forms of rock, metal, and hardcore to noise, ambient, and new age. Let's get started and enjoy. Thank you, Elliot. I really appreciate your support. So,
1: so so tell me about it. How did this one come about?
2: Um. Well, uh, I have you know, I'm always thinking about different ways to approach Mm -hmm. the projects with Dark Matter Halo. You know, ideally, I like each one to sound a little bit different or have its own identity. So, I was you know just casually you know scanning my brain and going through and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And for some reason I, I just had the desire to go back and review some old material that I had done, but never released. Okay. Um, And so one night I just started that, that journey, which I've never done before. And I started listening to, to tracks I had recorded when I lived in San Francisco, you know, around 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I was surprised at how good they sounded. Um, And then I thought to myself, why did I never put this out? So I started listening to more things and I found about three or four unfinished songs that I really enjoyed um, that were fragments, you know, a guitar piece here, some synth, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just thought to myself, well, why don't I see what I can do with with this material? Um, So I went through and just started handpicking uh, sessions that I had recorded in San Francisco. Right. Um, and then I stumbled upon a lot of demos for pieces I had done for this working band I was in called Burial Tree for about right. three years. Um, and the seeds to that band came from the ambient music I was doing at the time. Um, and so I had demo versions of these working band songs that were just Mm -hmm. me uh, that were very, you know, texture stuff, keyboards, Mo, guitar. And uh, so they're, you know, early interpretations of these songs that ended up coming out on records later that were with a full band and that I I just, the material sounded good enough to work with. And so um, I, I sifted through, I took about a week or so and found all the pieces Then I spent about another week or so arranging them and figuring out what I wanted to do with them. So some of them I had to, I had to do a little bit of tweaking with some of them were good as is. Um, And then it just sort of sent me on this reflection of my time in San Francisco um, around that time when I was making all that music. And it got me thinking about my creative process about dark matter halo, because the material on, on this new release is stuff that, either slightly predated the dark matter halo project or right at the cusp of it starting. And when I started the project, my focus was longer pieces. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, the texture drone stuff for 30 minutes, whatever. Um, And I realized I wasn't using these shorter pieces at the time. Um, You know, and then I stumbled across (laughs) this uh, session that has my brother Um playing cello, singing, and playing organ. And um, he's, he's about five years younger than me. He's incredibly talented in the arts, you know, music and painting. Um, and I had forgotten about it, right? And I realized he had done some overdubs for some of the Burial Tree songs I did, just for fun. There was no intention to release them. And so I heard this piece And it blew me away, you know, it's four cellos, two organs, and then a a few vocal tracks. Mm -hmm. And that really inspired me. Um, And so as I found the pieces, it was this simultaneous reflection of where I was in my life back then, but then also realizing that music still had relevance today. And so it was very invigorating to revisit the past and, and bring it sort of into my current creative process. And so I spent a lot of time blending the songs together. You know, like I told you a minute ago, I had my first inclination was to make them short pieces separate. Um, But I found a way I feel to blend them together really well, where they're very cohesive and it's almost sort of dreamlike and it's flowing from one piece to another. Um, And then I had my friend Dan in Portland master it for me. He and I work on projects together. Um, and that was okay. sort of how it, how it came about.
1: Tell me about the title.
2: Oh, uh, Vacuous? Mm-hmm. Um, it is, the positive interpretation is sort of uh, uh, mindless and without thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm at the point in my creative process now where the less I think about what I'm doing, the better the results. And so when I was putting this music together... It was very intuitive. It um, wasn't painful. It was very much um, just this very positive, uh, creative experience that I didn't put a lot of thought into. And so it just sort of made sense. And I also think it's, I don't bring politics into my music hardly ever, if at all. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm qualified to do that and I think this is probably the closest I'll ever get. I feel like our society has gotten to this point now where everyone is so hyper-focused on consciousness and image and making sure they tailor their beliefs to fit who they want to be, where one of the great things about art is letting go and letting things take charge and and, and play out as they will. Right. And so having this concept of, of creating an album with very little thought or no thought okay so, anti thought to me was appealing
1: so um the two t- the two titles are i, I am the solution and i am not the solution mm-hmm. so um, obviously there's a little a little bouncing around in your mind too somewhere where you know you have a lot of thoughts going on at once and is that due to um The last two three years of craziness that we've gone through, or and I know you have, and I know you have a new, you know, not a new family, but you have a a new addition who's not that new anymore. She's Uh, eighteen months. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) You know, it it's a great question, Elliot, and I think for me personally, it speaks to who I am, who I've always been. You know, there there are pieces of me who I feel are very much. An illusion you know just mm-hmm. it, you, I go through life and um, I don't always feel a part of it I feel like I'm outside of it at times I feel um, you know there are parts there are times in life where it feels like a dream whether it's because right. of a pandemic or a newborn or trying to find a way to connect with people and always sort of being just a little off right you know just sort of a little well, different
1: or but but your your personal life is that way too. I mean, you you have a nine to five where you have to be pretty much in a box, yes, right? Because it's it's a big you know it, it, it's a heavy load you you, you carry. You, you have a lot of responsibility in that end, and then your music is just kind of opposite that.
2: It is, yeah. That's a that's a good way to put it. I I very much have a split life. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, I remember when I was in college. And um, when I was at Sonoma State, I was studying jazz. Mm -hmm. And the the music building was Ives, named after the composer Charles Ives. And so I remember I had a music teacher named Will Johnson, who really opened my world to the endless possibilities of creating music. And um, so I, I, I read a little bit about Ives. I listened to a lot of his music. And the thing that appealed to me about him, aside from his music, was the duality of his life? You know, he sold insurance during the day, and after his family went to sleep at night, he wrote symphonies. Yeah. Wow. and that model, even at a young age, appealed to me. That that duality, right? Mm-hmm. The illusion and the concrete, and you know, since then I've worked to have a life like that. That for me is a from for me it's a balance having the nine to five job, you know, where I'm able to help people because I, I really love helping people and I have my family, which is my whole world. Sure. And I joke and I say, you know, a close second on the heels of my family every day is my art uh-huh. okay. <laughs> It's right behind it, you know? And so when they go to sleep, that's what I do or in the moments where I have some free time. And so when I was looking for titles for these, these tracks, you know, the I'm an illusion, I'm not an illusion, I, I, I think is a real strong statement for anybody today. You know, the world has become so complex. We all have that
1: duality. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and um, now more than ever, to be a musician, you have to have another life. You do. You can't, you know, I, I hate to say it, but you can't, you can't be sustainable just being a musician anymore.
2: No, you really can't, and um, you can't, and you know I don't know if I am wired to do just that anyway. Okay, and um, you know there's a lot. I have a lot of interest, and so and art is art, music is the predominant force for sure, without a doubt.
1: Now um, uh, I noticed, um, just to a little tangent. You've been taking your daughter to a lot of concerts. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, my nine-year-old
2: um, is a very creative soul. You know, she loves reading. She loves drawing and, you know, talking about the pandemic and, you know, you and I met during the right. pandemic. Yes. And so I-, I feel like our relationship is special in that way. And that that's how we were introduced to each other, Right. you know? And so now that things are, I sort of feel like we're in a post pandemic, right. Where mm-hmm. we're opening up and, um, while I'm happy at home creating, I'm trying to get out to some shows here and there. And so there was this pop punk show <laughs> in Santa Rosa, the town near where I live. And um, my wife convinced me to take my nine-year-old to the show. So she brought a book and we listened to these bands and um, she said she liked it and it was fun. But, you know, it's interesting going to a concert now. You know, it, it's yeah. different. Yeah. Um, but God, it, it felt great to be in front of a band.
1: Yeah. I, um, when my daughter's about nine, I took her to her first show. It was oh. the ro- It was the Rolling Stones at um, Giant Stadium. I, you know, I used to manage the stadium. Oh, wow. And, you know, part of this, you know, I was part of the management team. And um, it was the Steel Wheels Tour. Okay. And, I remember that album. Yeah. 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 And the uh, Foo Fighters were the opening act. Wow. So um, I introduced it to Dave. David asked me to take him down to the side of the stage. so You could see the stones, you know, so, and um, she fell asleep. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I put cotton in her ears and stuff, and she just kind of nodded out halfway through the show. And But it's funny, though, because um, about a month ago, my grandkids, who are 11 and uh, 8, I took them to their first concert. I took them to see um, Alan Parsons. Oh, cool. And, um, you know, they sat there. For, you know, Alan does a long show. You know, he takes a 15 minute break. And um, so, you know, they, they sat through it. And it, it was, you know, Alan is, is a great, he, he's great, you know? Yeah. But it's not a punk show. Everything right. is formulated, everything's written down. It's note for note for note. So you could actually sit down, listen to the album, get the same kick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Which is great, but not great. Um, So afterwards they said, is that it? Are we going home now? I said, no, that's the opening act. (laughs) 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 No, no, no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it was uh, pretty interesting. and um,
2: Yeah, you know, it's the cool thing, the out with punk music is, you know, if it's, if it's on, there's nothing like it. Right. And if it's off, you just shrug your shoulders like, ah, oh, just not a punk band.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. And you're, you're, you're into punk pretty heavy.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, I went out uh, last night with a friend who I haven't seen in a couple of years and we were just, you know, talk, he, he's in his sixties Um and pretty open-minded guy. And, you know, we were just talking about music all night and had a few drinks and, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of different makeups, but one of them for me is certainly punk. Um, if I could play more different types of music, I think I would. And as I get older, I'll probably continue to learn more, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's, that was my bread and butter, you yeah. know, as a suburban was, kid in, in the eighties and nineties.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'm older than you and, um, I saw them all, you know, the Ramones, uh, you know, I, the dolls, uh, yeah, I saw. You know, um, um, Wayne County. Remember Wayne? You know, Jane County. I don't remember Wayne. No. Wayne County, Jane. Well, now Wayne became Jane. Oh, okay. So Jane County and the Electric Chairs. Oh, yeah. They were a great band. And, You know, the whole CBGB thing. Um, mm-hmm. It was punk. It had its, you know, and then it became a joke. Yeah then everybody thought they could put together a punk band, you know, you get the most disgusting name and, uh, you know, and you're a punk band, but, yeah. you know, um, you know, I saw the Lou Reed shows at the Academy where, when he did the uh, rock and roll animal tour, that oh, wow. kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I'm friendly with Elliot Murphy who came from that whole,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that whole thing. And, and, um, I, I, and I interviewed a lot of the guys from those bands, but, um, these new punk bands are crazy, right? It's just insanity.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's like any other genre of music these days where it's it's more of an institution now than it is, right. you know, a, re, a rebellion. And I might be ostracized for, for putting it that way. But my experience is, you know, the people I've played with in that genre are some of the best musicians yeah. I've ever played with. I mean, they play punk but they can also play jazz, you know, they can reference, you know, the Beatles and the stones. I mean, they're just, they're, they just have chosen that style of music. Um, And as I get older, you know, I think the drive to create is an act of rebellion itself. So whether it's punk music or ambient music or rock and roll, you know, to not fall in line and just do what you're told because of your age and because of what's expected of you I think is an act of rebellion. And so for me, you know, creating art, making music, making different types of music that don't seem to have anything in connection to me is an act of rebellion. Mm -hmm. And it's my, you know, my middle finger response to a system that's telling me I need to just go to work and pay my bills. Mm -hmm. Right. And and the ambient music is a a subtler version of that. The the punk music is definitely more, you know, visceral.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. but I think the ambient music, too, you know, it, it through the, the, the images and the words and, and how you choose to present it, I think that's where it becomes, you know, an act of rebellion is, is you well, know, challenging the status quo.
1: I always looked at ambient being the punk end of New Age. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. you know, and, and, and I've spoken to many people. I've spoken to guys like Tim Story. Oh, and, uh-huh. and, and, you know, and guys like that. And, I, and, and um, you know, he did a lot of work with Rod, uh, Rodolus. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I kind of spoke to him about it. I said, you guys are really the punks of this whole movement, you know? Yeah. They, they're gritty. They get down and dirty. And, um, you know, guys, you know, guys like Eno, who started this whole, you know, ambient thing, you know, in, in the yep. day. I mean, not that he started it, but he brought it to us. Mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to it being a classical underground thing, you know, he kind of brought it out in the open. Um, Do you know, you know who Stephen
2: Halpern is? Sure. So he, you know, he's from the, the San Rafael, yeah. Rin area and I'm in Sonoma County. So I'm right next to that. You know, my dad's near me. And so he, my dad belongs to like a sort of like a new age type church mm-hmm. and Stephen Halpern plays there a few times a year. Cool. And, um, and I'm a huge fan of his music. Um, yeah, I, I love much, yeah. And oh, uh, Stephen Halpern. Yeah. And so I went to one of his shows at my dad's church and it was awesome. And I went up and met him afterwards. And I said, Hey man, I really love your music. And he said, thank you. And I said, you know, I grew up on like Slayer and Metallica and I love what you do too. And the look in his eyes was one of like panic. like, Oh my God, what's, what's this guy going to do? Mm-hmm. But I felt like it was important that he heard that because his music reaches a wide audience. And the other thing that made me want to approach him was he had this moment during his show where he talked about the challenges in promoting new age music before new age music was a scene. Yeah. Like this dude went around with his cassette tapes and his records, trying to get any store in Marin County to sell them back in like the early seventies. Right. Uh-huh. And to me, that's punk rock. Like that's punk, man. Yeah. Like, this guy on the total DIY, man, this guy was out hustling to sell some records and, and the places that would take them were the places that had the crystals,
0: right. you know, the
2: places that had the incense. And so that was the connection between sort of the new age music and the new age, you know, meditation world. Um, you know, now again, it's an institution and ambient music itself has gone off into several different directions. Yeah. You know, um, but it's because of guys, you know, like, you know, like Stephen Halpern, Steve
0: Roach, Bill. Yeah, Yeah, you know, I got to mix up for a second. I mean, I know Halpern's music. Let's take a quick break. We will return to the show in a moment.
1: So this whole band camp thing and this whole Spotify and everything else. I I was talking to a lot of different people. It's more important now to be a marketer than a musician to a point, Mm -hmm. which is very um, kind of deflating. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like once the album's done, that's when the real work starts. Mm -hmm. It is. So, yeah. So do you do all this yourself? or do you have? um...
2: I do it all myself. It's definitely a labor of love um i really enjoy it you know uh and we talked about this briefly in the past but you know i really tailor my instagram account to reflect my passion for music Mm -hmm. and my family and so i had a reissue a few years back of one of the early dark matter halo albums on cd and my friend nathan who put it out who i've known for many years and you know played a lot with, he said, Hey man, you need to make a dark matter. Halo Instagram account, you know, and I take what Nathan says very seriously because he's good at what he does. And so I thought about it for a minute and I decided not to do it. And just to keep everything on my, my personal account, because I feel like it, talk about marketing, right? Part of the marketing of what I do is I want people to know who I am and see what I'm about in between the records that I put out. And so, you know, you follow me, you know, I, I, I post records. I listen to, you know, my, my rituals in the morning, about five 30, I get up to get some coffee. I get a record and I listen and I'll post it on Instagram. And the part of the reason why I do that, I mean, mainly because I love listening to music, but people can see what I'm listening to in between my projects. Right. You know, so if I put out a punk record you know, maybe two days before that comes out, I was listening to Egyptian music or, right. or country music or whatever, because it all plays into it. Um, and then when the records come out, I promote the, the albums on social media as well. Um, and I, I could do better. Um, but I just like the idea in 2022 with social media that someone who's into my music can see other things I do. And there might be something else I do in my personal life that they're attracted to, that they identify with, which makes them identify with the music I make additionally. Right. Right. Um, You know, I, I follow a lot of artists on social media and I'm curious when they're out doing other things, you know, it's a humanizing element. And so for me, that's the constant promotion of me as an artist, you know, the records I'm listening to, the things I'm doing with my kids. Um, I try and keep my opinions out of a lot of it because those are, those are personal, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, um, and I try and keep it focused on, you know, sort of just uh, the creating and the listening, but I think it works. Um, And I've had conversations with friends over the years who have been trying to get their stuff across on social media. And I feel like the method I have works fairly well in the sense that with each record I put out, I feel like I gained one or two more fans
1: Okay.
2: that at this point end up becoming friends. And so we exchange music, we talk, um, you know, and sometimes they'll buy something. Sometimes I'll send it to them, but you know, it's building that base from a very humanitarian point of view. Okay. My
1: now this album is a lot different than your last album. Yes. It's night and day pretty much. It is. Your last album was very, very um, – um what's a good way to put it? The last one sounded like you're in the midst of a COVID epidemic.
2: Was that the one, the Dark Ambient Drone song that
1: – That was the MOD Reloaded album. Oh, the
2: MOD Reloaded. Yeah. It's very different. Um, again, purposefully. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot more going on in this one.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, the first song – if if you listen, a lot of the pieces are just a duo between guitar and synthesizer. Mm -hmm. So these simple, melodic, clean guitar lines with, you know, analog synth underneath. Um, And there's a lot of depth in that simplicity in my mind.
1: Yeah. Your last album sounded like you were um, troubled, like you were in the midst of a Mm -hmm. battle with something. Oh, You
2: know, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's funny when after it got put out on Bill's label, I was talking with his label guy Dave, Uh and he said, Oh, you know, the album actually reminds me of one of the early Automaton records, Uh it was like Points of Order or something like that, because there's violin in that too. And I, that's one of my favorite, well, they're all my favorites, but that one I listened to a lot back when it came out, and I was like, Oh, I forgot about that one, and you know, it, um when I hear that music to me, it, I go to a deeper place. It's very sublime, but you know, Bill had the same response after it was done too. He's like, there's tension in this.
1: Yeah.
2: And I guess, I mean, I'm a pretty high energy guy. Uh-huh. so Maybe un- unconsciously when I was creating, that's what sort of went into it, but you know, it's hard, you know, with drones, it's, there's an, there's a skill to making the same note for a long time. Sound good. Okay. You know, and, um, and so, you know, there's a lot of decisions you have to make around how you sculpt and craft those long drones. Um, and so when I hear it, um, I don't quite hear the tension and I can understand how
1: people
2: get that from it for sure.
1: Well, the last album, you had a lot of, um, Bill was on it with you. Mm -hmm. So you had that heavy bottom. Yes, for sure. And you know you had a lot of, um, it's a lot of things going on. This album you can actually put on and kick back and uh, relax. Yeah, couldn't do that with the last. The last one you couldn't.
2: No, you know Bill's music is very engaging. Even the ambient stuff. Even the minimal stuff. Right. You know, um, I don't know how well you, un- you you know that album he did with Hakeem Bey, that poet that just recently passed oh, sure. away. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Taz, T-A-Z. You know, I listened to that record every night before I went to bed for
1: mm-hmm.
2: a long time. And it's very, you know, it's essentially ambient music as a background, much more than that. But it could be considered that with this guy, you know, reading his book. But it's never a background. It's always like, yeah. You know, and so Bill's influence on Caravan to the Stars is that while it's it's considered partially ambient music, it's definitely not something you forget about. I mean, you're in there with it. Yeah. You know, and with this one, with the way it flows, you can absolutely come in and out of it, which is why I tried to craft it almost like a dream. Mm -hmm. You know, where you're kind of waking up, or maybe you're aware of what's going on for a minute, but then things change. Uh, counterintuitively because all the different parts in this album were recorded separately. They're not supposed to go together. Okay. But because it's the same person created them, you know, there's an underlying theme, you know, there's a part in the first song where you hear this woman speaking and Mm -hmm. and there's like music going and there's like all the static. I plugged my guitar in to play one day and all of a sudden the court, you know, I hadn't plugged the guitar in yet. All of a sudden this woman's voice started coming through my amp. I was like, well, this is crazy. And I was like, well, I'll just record it. And so I recorded it and have it. And so when I was going back and listening to all these different pieces, I was like, Oh, this is great. You know, mm-hmm. I guess if we want to stretch the truth for a moment, it's very Cajun, Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, very yeah. random. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: You know, but I found a way to make it integrate with everything else. I found other pieces that, you know, would fade into it and fade out of it.
1: That'd be great if this album goes like uh, triple platinum and that woman says, hey, that's me on that album. And she pops up. Right.
2: Right. (laughs) Well, you know, ironically enough, when I was at Sonoma State studying jazz, the uh, George Marsh, the percussion Hmm. instructor, uh, was very upset at the time because DJ Shadow. Okay had released a record on Mo Wax, which was a hip hop label. And he samples an early George Marsh, like lecture or something. And, you know, that record by him went like double, triple platinum. I mean, it was, people were blown away that this instrumental hip hop record sold, you know, millions of copies. Right. And George March w- was legitimately upset that he wasn't credited on the album and didn't get some piece of no. you know, that pie. And I remember sitting in, a percussion class with him where we were studying rhythm and he talked about that album. And I was like, oh, I have that, but I probably shouldn't say anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 wow. Did he you ever, know. he never um, got the credit?
2: I don't know. You know, that was 24 years ago and you know, yeah. he was trying to reach out and no one would get back to him, obviously. Maybe they they came to some sort of agreement. Who knows?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: well, but my point is, is if that woman, if I were to sell that much and a woman was like, hey, that's my voice, you know, I'm not greedy. I would.
1: I know. That'd be you know. great, though, right? When they're incredible? Hey, that's me. We you know. Yeah. Then, well, <laughs> like, um, like the woman on, uh, I've got her name on um, Dark Side of the Moon, that last tune. Oh, yeah. She's, you know, she's got a nice settlement. Yeah. yeah. I she... mean, you
2: don't, you know, you don't know. And coincidentally, I just finished. uh a record with my friend Dan out of Portland and we're you know, naming songs now and getting it mastered. But the, f- the last song I do is spoken word piece. Um, it's this beautiful acoustic guitar he recorded. And when I got to that part of the songs he gave me, I'd done everything on the previous seven songs, guitar synth, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I don't want to do any of that anymore. And I'm listening to this piece and it reminded me of a, um, a Sergio Leone movie. Well, you know, just that kind of that deserty twang. Right. So I did spoken word over it. It Turned out really good. And so when Dan and I were talking about the album, he said, you know, what's up with this last song, man? Like, did you sample this? Are we going to have to put down credits for someone? I said, no, man, that's me. And he said, it doesn't sound anything like your voice and we can keep it. Um, so I guess my point is, is I, I just said, screw it. I'll, I'll, I'll do the sample myself.
1: There you go. <laughs> um, I've heard a story, um, Phil Manzanera from Roxy. Uh-huh. One of his solo albums got sampled and, um, I forgot who sampled it. I don't know if it was Jay-Z. It was a big rapper. Yeah. He said he made more money on that sample than he did in all his years in, with Roxy. Jeez. That's amazing. Good for him too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good for
2: him, and good for for the the big rap star for giving yeah. credit where credits due.
1: Yep, it came from I think his blue little guitar album, whatever it was. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you sent me a link that I didn't have a chance to get to yet. Mm-hmm. That's is that is that what you were talking about just now? No, so this good?
2: is so the the punk band that I'm doing right now is called Bro Jogan. You know, a play on Joe Rogan. Right. And, um, you know, we, it, it was a pre-pandemic band. And, you know, when I first met you, you know, we were on lockdown. And so, you know, it was on pause um, and it survived <laughs> the 18 months that we were locked down. And, um, you know, it's, it's the genre it would fall under is, is grind music and thrash metal, you know, that extreme stuff. Wow. Um, my, my partner, Damien in the band, he's, been in the scene for a very long time, been in a bunch of bands and um, he kind of does his own thing. And I just go along for the ride. Okay. You know, it's, I played all the music and he arranged the songs and then we learned that we learned the new arrangements and then we record them. So for that style of music, it's pretty unique. Most people don't do that. So I feel like it has some validity to it from a compositional standpoint. because We got there in a different way. But you know, he just sort of does his thing. And it was funny because the other day I was like, I'm gonna see what Damien's been up to on his bandcamp page. And I'm like, hey, that's our band. Hey, well, that's our record. Well. <laughs> well, <hope laughs> you we know, tuck you in. Yeah. And you know, and um, and you know, that's been my experience with that music, is is you know, um everyone's got kind of their own vibe, and it's very much like riding a roller coaster. You just get on and roll with it. Right. You know, um, And it's, it's great music. It's some of the most complex music I've ever played. You know, um, I would say it's akin to playing, uh, like giant steps. Okay. By Coltrane where the changes just fly by. I mean, it's like, you know, we're playing these songs at 200 beats a minute and there's 20 parts to the song. Wow. And some of them happen two and a half times, some of them happen one time, some of them happen four times, you know. And so you really got to be on, you know, even though the song's a minute and a half long, if if you're not in it, it falls apart.
1: Right.
2: And um, you know, and I would say it's it's more akin to structured jazz than free jazz in the sense that you you have to know the changes. You gotta know where you're headed next without thinking about it. Um, and so I've learned a lot through playing with Damien it's the second band I've done with him um, and I was just happy to hear that he put it you know he got it out and we had, we had released a version of it earlier in the year Um, but he'll go back and he'll remix things he'll change stuff around a little bit so I'm always excited to hear what he's done to any of his projects including the stuff I'm in well, you know
1: um, any, you have any live things coming up?
2: no Um, I don't, and I'm okay with it right now. You know, I think the last show I played live was maybe eight months before the pandemic, give or take. Okay. Um, but, and it'll come back around again. Yeah. You know,
1: um, I got a call from Mike Sopko a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, Awesome that he was up in Santa Fe. I couldn't get there that night, but yeah, he would, he oh, would right just on. fill on to Santa Fe. He was doing a gig there. Um, so everybody's out doing something, you know, everybody's- I
2: miss it. I miss it so much, you know, and um, the first show I went to, well, the second show I went to post pandemic about two months ago, I ran into a friend of mine that I knew when I lived in Sonoma County 25 years ago, his okay. band was playing. And it was so good to see him. He remembered me. I got to meet his kids and it just put the fire back in my veins of like that, the feeling you get when you play live, when you get to see your friends, when you get to hear bands again,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, so, I'll, I'll, you know, either Damien and I will work towards that. Um, you know, the other band that I was in was Concrete Walls.
1: Right.
2: Um, you know, drummer and I have been connecting in that band and we wrote new songs for that. Um, so who know, you know, we'll just as things form, you know, and we're ready, we'll do it.
1: So um tell everybody how to get a copy of this release.
2: It's on my uh bandcamp page, which is uh Monte Chimino Bandcamp. Um, now there's
1: no H in Chimino. No,
2: it's like cello, it's a soft C because of that I after it, man. Yes. Yeah. So it's C I M
1: I N O. Right. Okay, I'll tell everybody. I'll I'll, I'll post that. Yeah. And um Okay, so it's on Bandcamp, and um, right now it's just digital?
2: Just digital. I'm working towards a reissue campaign of uh, some of the Dark Matter Halo stuff on CD okay. and in vinyl. And then I have a couple other Dark Matter Halos that uh, I gave to Bill, and once he's able to, he's going to work on those. Um, so for right now, it's digital. And then there's a process that I'm working towards to get everything physical as well. Okay. Yeah.
1: And it's um, it's hard to get physical copies these days. Everything is so backed up.
2: Backed up. You know, I use a um, pressing plant out of Taiwan. I've used it now for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the prices are good. The quality is great. Um, and they do small run CD and vinyl. Really? They do hundred. You know, they do a run of a hundred. Cool. Yeah. Um, So I've been using them, and so I'll mob and echo. It's called, and I'll go back with them when the time is right. Um, But right now, the most important thing for me is that I am constantly creating, and as albums get done, I put them out. um, You know, and then one, and you know, finding a way to reissue them down the road will will bring renewed interest to the stuff Mm -hmm. that was digital
1: only. You know, we did actually. um, I um, I was, you know, I I was working with Michael. Um, We took a lot of his older material and we did our our own compilation. Oh, cool! It's and did well. You can't believe the reviews it's getting on Bandcamp. Yeah, (laughs) awesome. But something for you to think about: the stuff's there. Yeah, it is. You know,
2: and the reissue I did of the second dark matter halo was a cassette only release that got reissued on CD and it got a really positive response and it brought new people into the mix. Right. And so, you know, I, this album, I've envisioned as an LP release with one song on each side, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's very much formatted to the LP release. And so, you know um, you know, I'm sort of looking towards the beginning of 2023 you know, to sort of get a few of them out on the physical releases.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah. And um, so there may be some live things. Any, so you sent Bill some stuff. Any chance of you guys um, getting to the studio again together?
2: No, not right now. You know, it works. I like doing stuff remote, to be perfectly honest with you. It really okay. fits right now. Um, you know, he and I have a, a system that works really well um you know my friend dan in portland he and i have a a system that works really well and i'm really proud of the music that i do with both of them when it comes out it's vastly different um and it's it's more fun than it's ever been for me and so if it's not broken why fix it
1: sure
2: you know um going out and playing with scott the drummer from concrete walls I hadn't played with him for a few years, Elliot. We got in the room together and we wrote three songs in one session and they turned out great. And it was fun. Really. And um, so I'm just going to go with the fun part. <laughs>
1: Good. And, and you know, and a lot of studio time is just hanging around. It is. And, and you know, it's expensive. Studio time is expensive. And um, I mean, if you, if you, if you could do it any other way, that's great. That's incredible. So yeah. um, any new gear?
2: Oh my gosh. No, but yeah. I did use, I've been using my, I have a, a Radio Shack Moog synthesizer Really, that you probably haven't heard on much of my recent stuff. Um, but that's been my go-to synth was my go-to synth for a long time. And I used it on the project I did with Dan recently and I didn't put it back. So it's out. And so my guess is, you know, I'll, one of these weeks I'll sit down and that'll just turn on and I'll, Revisit that. Um, uh, I'm I, I, a lot of what I do is post effects. So after I record the direct signal, I I go in and I um, sculpt the sound. Yeah, treat them. I, yeah, treating it. And I've been using a lot of different effects that I haven't used before. Um, so you know, I'm always finding new ways to sort of reinterpret, you know, sound. Okay. Um, and again, I think it comes back to the happiness thing. I'm really happy with what I have right now okay, um, and making it, making it work.
1: So um, this new release, is just you and your brother.
2: Yes. Me and my brother.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, that's it. No other musicians, no
2: other musicians, just me and Adam. Okay. You know, I'm hoping it will be a gateway for him and I to do something more substantial together. Mm-hmm. Um, So we grew up in the East Bay here in California, and he started music at a very young age and was very proficient at a very young age, playing piano. And he went to bass, then guitar, then accordion, then cello. Um, Just a greatly talented young man. And we couldn't have more different tastes in music. (laughs) You know, I mean, the beautiful thing is he'll tell you stories about sneaking into my room when he was a kid and listening to my tapes and putting them back. And so, you know, for a long time, we went in different directions. You know, he played in some pretty good bands over the years. He turned down some pretty good bands over the years. And so when I put this release together, Elliot, I was a little nervous about letting him know that I incorporated stuff he did 10 years ago. Right. Because sometimes people don't want to revisit the past or they don't want old stuff put out without their input. Mm -hmm. And Adam said, sounds great, man. And so it was really validating because you know he's one of my biggest influences creatively um so i haven't approached him yet because i don't have a solid formula to present to him but um i'm hoping in the next couple of years he and i can find a way to do something you know uh together just to have i mean if anything all of our friends would be like finally
1: yeah okay
2: you know, cause he's a drummer. He's a phenomenal drummer, just incredible drummer. Um, and the bands he's been in over the years, he's carried the bands cause he's so good. Well, you, you know, um, I, I was lucky enough to use the cello and, and vocal stuff that he did.
1: Cool.
2: Yeah. Creative time is really first thing in the morning. That's when I think a lot about what I'm doing. And then at night again, when everyone's asleep is when it sort of turns into action. Uh-huh. And like I said, you know, that part, over the last couple of years has really been less about thought and more just about intuition and and action. Um, So who knows what will come out next? I have no idea. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, i read a quote somewhere recently by uh, a a very experienced musician who said, you know, no musician really knows what's going on with what they put out. And, you know, when I made the, when I was making this music that I just compiled and put out a few weeks ago, when I was making this, I, I was approaching music from the standpoint of a composer. I thought I was hearing music in my head that I was then transcribing into sound. And what I've learned since then is that is absolutely not the case. I don't hear music. I don't hear notes in my head and then put it out. I feel it. Right. I feel it. And so what you're getting with this record are two very different Montes. Yep. <laughs> you're getting this Monty from... 2009, who was restless, impatient, motivated, driven, trying to create an artist. And that material has been nurtured and reflected on by Amonti, who now is very much at peace with his abilities, very happy with what he's able to do and, and not do it and, and not do it. exactly. And take that earlier form of myself and give it the love it needed and the confidence it needed and put out an album that is really a, a beautiful representation of, of sort of my vision. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, cause when I was making this stuff, I was really involved in the San Francisco scene I was really close with the owners of Aquarius records, which is, was an amazing record store in the city that supported international underground artists, not only local artists, but everybody. Um, I was playing in bands with some of the owners. I was there all the time, you know, buying hundreds of dollars of records. Um, I was involved in the, in the punk and metal scene, um, you know, and so it was such an inspiring time. I was reconnecting with old friends. Um, and so to take that music now as a father, <laughs> you know, as a professional and giving it the perspective it needed. I just really feel like there's depth to this. Unlike any
1: other release I've put out. Mm-hmm. And this, um, not that it is his flavor or anything, but this is more the helper side as opposed to the Laswell side. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, it's really um, I was really really happy.
2: Oh, awesome! You know, not,
1: not that anybody cares if I'm happy. No, <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> hey man, I care. I know, I know. When, yeah. I, saying, when I listened yeah. to it, I said, "Wow," uh, you know, because a lot of the Laswell stuff, and you know, you you could you could um, agree or disagree. You have to sit there and you have to learn how to like it. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying a lot of it's not those organically sit. You have to really, really delve into it and learn it, mm-hmm. and it becomes a job mm-hmm. as opposed to your this new um, release where it just kind of go, it just kind of encompasses you and, and draws you in and you're there. Oh thank you. You know it's mm-hmm. and not that's right. anything wrong with the other, not that there's anything wrong with the other aspect. Right. But but sometimes you need that downtime.
2: Yeah. You know, and I had the complete different experience when I heard his stuff. It spoke to me on a level that I didn't understand, uh-huh. you know, and, and um, <laughs> I remember selling an Eric Clapton box set to buy a John Zorn record. You know, I'm like 20 bucks for the black box set. Sure. The Zorn record yeah. is $19. Perfect. You know, so that music had a really big impact on me and I, and I don't know why, but for me, when I heard Bill, it resonated with something within me. Yeah. But, but so did all these other types of music. So, right. you know, um, but when I heard painkiller the first time, I was just like, right. This is a saxophone. And the girl, <laughs> the woman at the record store I worked with was like, I think the saxophone's the point of the music. And I was like, well, if they got rid of that, it'd be great. Yeah. You know, and then that, you know, went on, that got me into that whole New York scene. And yeah, that a huge zorn that's thing. what I'm saying.
1: You had to learn how to like it.
2: That record, hundred percent. No, good
1: lord. I, I remember. I remember getting Painkiller at uh, Barnes and Noble in New Jersey, ah. and uh, I got that in Marion Faithful at the same time. So that was kind of like a suicide day. <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, early on, there is this great record store in Livermore, um, next to where I grew up, that had you know had a killer section. I remember one time. This is how weird I am, dude. I bought Slayer, Rain, and Blood on cassette and George Michael's Faith. Both. And the dude at the counter was just like, what's wrong, man? And I was like, what do you mean? You know, I, I just so and I'm not I don't want it to sound like I'm coming off like I'm better than someone because I'm able to do that. Just my internal process has always been a duality of, of, of the sublime and the visceral and that's where I've always been.
1: And so that's why it makes sense for me to put out an ambient record and then go play punk.
0: Hope you enjoyed this episode of fly on the wall. There are more great interviews to follow. So please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info, is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.